Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. I'm Rod. And you're listening to Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Just One More Thing from Sunrise Church. In today's episode, we are covering the November 5th sermon titled, To Be or To Be Better. And this is a continuation of our series on assurance. But you looked at a a whole book instead of just one passage dealing with assurance. You covered basically the entire book of James. So why was that kind of the next step in this in this series for you rather than maybe like one passage here or there. So whenever you bring up the concept of assurance, people will make a distinction between different types of faith. They will talk about active faith versus inactive faith. They'll talk about sincere faith, genuine faith, as if there are these distinctions, these shades of faith. But the Bible just talks about faith. That it, it just says faith. And so inevitably, people will point to the passage that we covered, James chapter 2 and verse 14. They'll say, well, look, even the demons have faith, and yet we know they aren't saved. But in order to understand that one verse that everybody throws at you, you need to really understand the entire book. And we said the reason he wrote this book was because their faith is being persecuted, and God does a good work in that. And his desire was that they would be complete and mature. And so we have to look at it that that way. And then we looked at the word saved, and we're probably going to go back to that in this podcast at least a little bit. So that's the reason that I felt like we needed to look at the book of James, is because people will make that distinction between different types of, of faith. And this is not a new issue. I mean, it goes down through church history. Uh, I mentioned in the sermon, Martin Luther had a very big problem with this book. And hopefully in the sermon we reconcile that because Luther loved the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, Paul is talking about how we are justified before God by faith. And in the book of James, James is talking about how we're justified before man by our works. And if you make and understand those distinctions, I think the book just opens up to you. I probably did not say enough about proverbial sayings, the proverbial nature of the book of James, because he's really trying to just give give us wisdom on how to live as believers in this life, taking care of the orphans, the widows, not backbiting, not speaking against someone, just some very practical advice. I felt like it was necessary to go there because in this series, someone had has already brought up that passage to me. So I felt like I needed to deal with it and and deal with it in a more complete manner. And that's why we covered the entire book of, of James. So similar to a, another um, sermon that you had done where you went through and you color-coded the different pronouns so that we could get a better grasp on the passage and what it's and what it's saying, who it's referring to. In this one, you had several things underlined, like brothers and sisters, just pointing out, you know, throughout the whole book, these are ta- he's talking to believers, he's writing to believers. But another thing that you did was you drew out an analogy that James presents when he says, just like the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. So he's making 
He's making a comparison there. He's creating an analogy. James uses a great illustration because people just quote the last half of that. Faith without works is dead. And dead, dead faith can't do you any good. Dead faith can't save you. But they never ask the first part of that, as the body without the spirit is dead. And they've got to wrestle with that. Wrestle with that first. What is going on in that type, in that analogy right there? I find that many commentaries, most commentaries, they just blow past that mm-hmm. to state the obvious that faith without works is dead. But when you think about it, okay— the spirit inhabits a body that was alive. And so at one time, that body was alive. And so I end up breaking it down to, is the spirit, and asking the question, is the spirit validating the body in some way as being a real body, a true body, or is it animating? And I think the only relationship between that spirit and the body is it it animates it. It gives it life. Okay, so once you understand that, to go to faith without works is dead, you're forced to say, okay, then works animate our faith. But everyone uses that as works give evidence of our faith, works verify our faith. And I just don't think that's a correct understanding of what James was writing about. So I think that's a big deal, but most of the commentators kind of skip right over that. And that's his conclusion. All of his arguments with Abraham, with Rahab, it lands there in in that statement, in that comparison. Think about the statement that he gives. Can you have a body without a spirit? Yes, you can. But it's dead. Right, but you can have one. I think people would say, can you have faith without works? They would say, no, you can't. Right. Right. They would say that. Right. But that's, but that's, I mean, James is clearly equating the two. That's right. And if you go back to the first one, can you have a body without a spirit? Yes, it is possible. I mean, when cops come up to a scene and there's a body there, it's still a body. It's not like, oh, what is this? What is this substance now? I don't know what this is now. But you would never say this body was never alive. Right. You'd never say that. And so I. And you wouldn't say that it's something other than a body. Correct. It's still what it is. It's just, like you said, it's not animated. But then, like you said, when people get to that second part, they completely ignore what they just read and think about just faith and works and say, oh, well, you can't have faith without works. So works have to be there in order to show that there was faith at all. But- and, and at that point, their theology hijacks the text and, and, and they read into it what they want to see. Another thing that came up in James a lot that you emphasized, which I think was helpful, was the word save, how James uses the word save. And I think in one instance, it was translated restore. Yes. But I think the rest of them was save. And I think that's helpful to show that this same Greek word, which is sozo. Yes. So the same Greek word is used in all these instances. In some places, it was translated restore. In other places, it was translated save. But... It's helpful to know that just because we see the word save doesn't mean that we're talking about eternal salvation. You can, it's just like in English, you can save money, you can save time, you can save somebody's life, but those don't all mean the same thing. But one thing that I did want to say just for the people listening is that there is an app that I know Jonathan uses it and he loves it. It's called Literal Word. And it has ESV, NIV, I think maybe NASB, and the King James. But 
if you use this app and you're looking at a Bible passage, you can highlight a word and it'll show you the Greek behind that word. And then it'll also list out all the other places that that word is used. And it'll show you kind of like if you looked up, you know, Webster's Dictionary, it'll say first definition is this. This is all the places where it's used in that sense. Second definition is this. This is all the places where it's used in that second sense. Um, So that's a helpful, it's called Literal Word. Um, It's a free app that I think kind of does what you were doing in the sermon where you were highlighting and noting all the places where saved is used. And then this does it not only in the same book, but it would go through and say, okay, James uses this word save. Mark also uses this word save. You know, let's see it in that context. That's right. So that's just a helpful resource that I think, especially with this sermon, when we're trying to figure out, okay, he says save, but what does he mean by save? You know, he says, he says soul. What does he mean by soul? Different things like that. I think that resource and resources like that would be helpful. You know, the one more thing that I learned in preparing this sermon, because I've preached on this passage never to this extent because I had a focus of assurance, but I've preached on this passage quite a few times. But the one thing I, I, I never had thought about was if, if there's a question about the eternal destiny of the readers, then it sure appears or makes sense that James would put in there somewhere what a person would need to do to verify that, to make sure that that they have believed on Jesus for the gift of eternal life. But he doesn't do that. And it's kind of like the dog that doesn't bark. Nowhere in there does he witness to someone about their eternal destiny. And so that was the just one more thing that I personally got out of out of studying this passage and looking through it. And I just said, wow, that's a the dog that doesn't bark, the thing that's not said, but everybody reads into it. That, you know, for people that would differ with, with me on this passage, they want to, to show you that, hey, the de- demons believe and, and, and they're not going to heaven. But what, what do the demons believe? And I think we covered this pretty well. They, they believe a truth, which is that there is one God, but they cannot be saved. Right. Jesus did not die to redeem angels or demons. He, he died to save humanity. That's right. And James's answer to the question is, can, can that kind of faith save? Well, no, it can't, because it can't save in the way of delivering someone, of, of helping someone live a life with wisdom, with maturity. You just can't receive the gift and then live any way you want to live without putting yourself under the authority of Christ and expect to, to live a life that's glorifying to God and that you will get rewards when you get to heaven. You, that's, that's absurd. You know, it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven, but it just it, it would be like never showing up for a game when you've been signed to the team and expecting you're going to win the MVP. You're, you're not going to do it. And so James is really encouraging people to think wisely, to act wisely, because he sets it up, be, be, be quick to hear and slow to speak, be doers of the word, do the word, live it out. And that way they can be mature, they can be complete, because that is his ultimate desire for them. I think my just one more thing from this and looking at James specifically in the context of assurance, which I haven't necessarily done before, is in chapter five when it talks about whoever turns a wayward sinner, which you emphasize, we're talking about a believer, 
turns a wayward sinner from his wanderings and brings him back will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's James 5, 20. But when I was looking at it in the context of assurance, what stood out to me for the first time was, okay, when you see soul, it's like, oh, well, we got to be talking about eternal salvation here, you know, because, oh, it's the soul. But if you look at it, your soul doesn't die. Your soul lives forever. Whether your soul is living in eternity with God or separated from God, that's right. your soul never ceases. The cessation of the soul is a heretical view that, you know, there have been a lot of councils. That we denounce. There's a lot of councils that have knocked that down. Um, but your soul doesn't die. So when you see a passage and it says, save his soul from death, well, hang on. The physical body, that can die, sure. But the soul in the eternal sense can't. So when I was looking at that, I was like, oh, it clicks. It's so easy. It's so clear. There was no confusion when I read it because I was reading it with a better perspective. And when the New Testament uses soul, most of the time, I, I think I can go out on a limb here and say, he's talking about a life. We looked at that in First Peter or Second Peter. He's talking about a life. For us to come alongside and walk with someone who is a believer, who's struggling, who needs wisdom, uh, you know, it, it's just like a, a, a baby born. A baby born cannot survive on its own. You know, it needs nurture and care. And I think that's what James is saying, is that we need to act in a certain way to nurture and care for one another so that we can grow and become all that God wants us to be. And to not short circuit that whole process. Right. So I thought this was a very helpful sermon, and I hope other people did as well. And if you have any questions, anyone who's listening, if you have questions about the sermon or things that we covered in this podcast or anything about assurance, I know we have a couple questions that have come in that we'll cover later. But if you have any questions, just email us at ask, A-S-K, at isunrise, the letter I, sunrise.org, and we'll address those questions and hopefully clarify things for you because this is like we've said before a very important topic um, that we hope you can get a good grasp on so thank you for explaining that a little further and thank you all for listening to another episode of just one more thing from sunrise church